This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tell Me This. This is episode seven, Talent Not Technology. And in this episode, I am super excited to introduce uh, Rebecca Chisholm, who actually did the interview with Miss Mrs. Suman Noor. She's a pre-K teacher at Commodore John Rogers School in Baltimore City, Maryland. Rebecca Chisholm is a good friend, colleague, and current doctoral student at the in the EDD program that we talk about so often. And when we were talking about doing these interviews, Rebecca said she had someone in mind, and she got super excited and was even interested in doing the interview. And of course, I said, sure, why don't you conduct the interview? So today's interview and introduction of our guest will be done by Rebecca, so we'll get to that in a moment. So just as a reminder... Um, Brianne Roos, Dr. Brianne Roos and I host this podcast. This is season two of Tell Me This. And in this season, we are interviewing and having great conversations with all kinds of educators. This, this includes leaders, teachers, families, students, um, folks who are in the nonprofit world who do a lot of work in or with schools and other leaders all around the country. And honestly, hopefully we have a few uh, folks that'll come on that are in different parts of the world. So we're super excited. This podcast will continue with its theme around belonging. Um, We're leaning in and learning with and from each other. And during this season, as I said, we're specifically focusing on life, education life during the pandemic and how these experts have managed, navigated, and are overcoming all these crazy obstacles and barriers that the pandemic is throwing up at them and sort of what they're, you know, adopting and learning and using this fall as we go back to school. And I have to say, um, when, as I was listening to Rebecca's interview with um, Mrs. Noor, I was really reminded of my own teaching during the pandemic. Um and, and that might sound weird because, um, you know, I've been teaching online for several years, really pre-pandemic, because this is an online doctoral program. And I say this because even for me, I saw some rethinking and shifting in my own approach to teaching and learning. Um, as you'll hear in a few minutes, Mrs. Noor really talked about, you know, sort of thinking about what matters. And, and she, she explained to Rebecca that, you know, it was really imperative to identify the key objectives and sort of the learning goals for the students and to stay connected with her students and her families. She and her team really made a concerted effort to stay connected to their families. And you'll hear how and and how that went in a minute. And so, you know, in the midst of this pandemic, I started to think about 
you know, well, how am I using these, these cool apps and new technology? You know, how am I using them? And does it align with sort of the goals of that particular moment or assignment or lesson? And so, you know, I just really appreciated listening to Rebecca and Mrs. Noor um, talk about this. And it just became more evident that we really do need to focus in on the objectives, think about our purpose, think about the pedagogy, and then align, you know, those tech tools and apps with, with what we have in mind. So I really think you're going to enjoy this interview. And if you're somewhere where you can take a few notes, um, I recommend grabbing a pen and a pencil or an iPad and a pencil or whatever your tool of choice is, because there's a lot in this podcast and so many great nuggets in this interview. So thanks for listening to Tell Me This. This is season two. And we will be right back with the interview. Thanks. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Chisholm. I am a doctoral candidate at Johns Hopkins University and an English for Speakers of Other Languages, also known as ESOL, teacher for early childhood students in Baltimore City, Maryland. I am here today to talk with Mrs. Suman Noor, a longtime teacher, mentor, and friend in her 27th year of teaching with Baltimore City Schools. She's spent 14 years teaching kindergarten, seven years as an instructional coach, and is in her sixth year of teaching pre-kindergarten. Today, Suman reflects on her teaching experiences during COVID-19 and shares with us what she has learned, as well as how she has embraced remote learning experiences with her early childhood students. Within her reflections, she notes the rewards and the challenges associated with the shift to distance learning during the 2019-2020 school year. As a fellow early childhood educator, I am so excited to hear from Suman and hope you enjoy her insights too. Okay. Okay, so tell me about your current role. Okay, so I'm a pre-K teacher mm -hmm. and I teach uh, using a program called Tools of the Mind. And I worked at a, at a very wonderful Baltimore City school called the Commodore John Rogers. And what do you think, what makes that school so wonderful, Ms. Uh, well, it's a community school, so it tries to not only address the whole child, but it also takes care of the families and other needs that students and families might have. Do you think that uh, they were able to continue fulfilling that mission during this past spring transition to remote learning? They really tried their very best. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you more as we go on about okay. all, the one, all the wonderful efforts that they made. How long have you been teaching, Mrs. Noor? I can't remember. I've been teaching for 27 years, and next year will be my 28th. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So can you tell me a bit about your own teaching philosophy? Yes. Uh, my philosophy is simply that every child can learn, but everyone's not going to learn at the same time and in the same way. So my main challenge is to find different ways of addressing children's needs mm -hmm. and to build relationships so that whatever is offered is received by the families and the children. 
So when you transitioned to remote learning, did you feel like you were still able to meet the needs of your students? Uh, I don't know if, if, we, if we were able to meet, but sure enough, we tried our very, very best from access to technology, to access to internet, yeah. to using different modalities, using different systems, different timings, coaching children at 6 p.m. once a week. Wow. So that's all I can say. <laughs> so when did you transition to remote learning? Well, we uh, transitioned at the beginning of April. Mm -hmm. And then it lasted through the end of the school year, right? Yes, mid-June. So can you describe a typical day in your own classroom before yes. COVID and perhaps which elements of those you were able to keep or had to change in your transition to remote learning this spring? Okay, so we had, we had, we have three pre-K teachers and we had absolutely the same uh, schedule for all of us. Okay. We always start with a opening meeting and that mainly addresses the social emotional needs of children and just some calendar skills. Mm -hmm. Then the kids go, uh, go on for enrichment, which is art or music or library. Yeah. Then before lunch, we are only at 10 minutes. So we used to do read alouds, but then since the city was strong on words, we Put that put word study in there for the 10 minutes. After word study, they had lunch and outdoor recess. And I'm very fortunate to have a playground right outside my classroom. So oh, they really had a wonderful time. That is nice. Then we had small groups for literacy and math, where one uh, they they went through three small groups. One was math, one was a phonics skill, and one was a read aloud. Mm -hmm. And then every child, all children took a nap for 45 minutes. Then we had snack, play block, and closing meeting. Yeah. So which parts of your day were you able to keep when you transitioned to remote learning? Uh, so uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we didn't think of the parts of the day uh -huh. because our remote learning was just set up so differently, but we thought of the skills that we should cover. Okay. So is that okay? So yeah, basically sure. uh, with the tools of the mind, the heart of the program, or if there's one thing that you can do is writing with the children because every day before they play, they write what's called a play plan. Yeah, And that play plan teaches them to write, to practice their phonics skills, you know, and, mm -hmm. and just navigate language in speaking and writing. So, so that's the first thing we want you to attack. And we attacked it in two ways, or we kept it in two ways. We worked with every child. I work personally with every child every other week wow. uh, on using uh, Google Collaborate. And I wrote with the children. And okay. every child was supplied. We made sure every child had a sound map. That's one of our tools. Every child had a board. Every child wow. had a marker and an eraser. Wow. And then we also made some, we also uh, taped or videotaped some lessons showing scaffolded writing. That's the writing we use. So the parents were well aware of, uh, of you know, what we do. And we also assigned tasks for the children, like upload your writing once a week. They had to upload, the parents had to upload a sentence written by the child. Yeah. So that's one thing we kept very, that went very well and we kept it very, you know, really faithfully. If somebody missed one week, we would catch up with them the next week. If parents were working in the day, we do it at six or seven. Like we, we were just like beasts. We just kept that, kept the fidelity of that, that part of the day. Yeah. So, when, so the 10 kids that my, I was not working with that week, my aide worked with them and she did the other part that we wanted to keep. And that was math because we had 12 children out of 100 already counting to uh, 12 children out of 20 already counting to 100. So we didn't want we, we didn't want to. Yeah. So my aide would work uh, with that other group of children 
uh, on math skills, which was just with counting as high as they could and on counting objects, 20 objects, some went on to 25, that's another thing. And that was the writing part, math, and then the reading. So we did, um, we also videotaped lessons on reading because in Tools of the Mind, we also have different uh, story cards. Like one might be about what happened next in the story, one might be about what's the main idea, mm -hmm. one might be making connections. So we, we listed all these different skills and all three of us videotaped lessons. And again, we, we assigned homework and said, what was your favorite part or who's whatever in the story. So we kept the reading, reading part like that. So we kept the reading, writing, and we kept mm -hmm. the math. And then just for the practice with their phonics, we have something called a mystery question where, where the first mm -hmm. thing they would do after they have to say how they are feeling and say a good thing, the first thing they have to do when they're logged on is to solve a mystery question. For example, there might be a picture of a fan and it might does it begin with a f sound or a n sound and they've got to say it, you know, or, yeah. or a rhyming word or an ending sound or a medial sound. So every day we had a new mystery question. So we were wow. able to do these parts, yeah. It sounds like you, you certainly kept up with the rigor of the program online. Yes. Yes, we did. And also I was fortunate with work with very capable and very loving teachers. So that helped. Oh, yes. And <clears throat> I know in, in my few experiences with you working on writing with my own daughter, it's really helpful as a parent to see you work with her. Did you feel as though parents were continually involved and able to work on the skills when you weren't uh, teaching them one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, so... It's, it varies with different children. I had four of like one fourth of my student body. The parents were very active and just like they wanted the kids certainly to do their very best. They said they would even go to school to pick up, you know, if they needed to go put on their masks and stuff yeah. to, to pick it up. And we also made like different PowerPoints so that the parents could go through the processes that they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And whenever we, we that's, why the, that's, the, that's another reason why we didn't try to schedule all children every week, because we gave the children a good amount of time, like 15 or 20 minutes, even if it was, so the parents, if they had questions they could ask, if the parents were trying to support too much, we would say, no, 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 you, you please don't do that. When we always blamed it on the kindergarten teacher. We said, no, no, the kindergarten teacher doesn't want to do that. <laughs> let them use the sound map or let them see what I'm, just follow what I'm saying. And if you have any questions, either write to me in class dojo or go back to the PowerPoint slides that we've sent you. Yeah. I think it went, this writing part really went beyond expectations. They were actually really growing. And also for the Spanish speaking children, mm -hmm. we have another lady working and then she and me would both work with them at a time and we were both present. So that helped too. Yeah. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but I do think uh, as a parent, it is difficult to let go and allow them to try out the writing themselves rather than yes. really scaffold that to a point where they understand it. Yes, 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 yes. So that was one of our main goals. And through Class Dojo, through these PowerPoints, through, we had three writing parent meetings in the first three weeks. With the, oh. the only parents could come and it was only uh -huh. like 12 or 15 minutes long to just, just about this. With the writing is the heart of our program. Writing is something the children have to learn to do. If you keep poking your nose, if you keep guiding them, they never become independent. So let them make the mistakes and you know, learn. So some, most of them got it. Do you think the parent meetings were helpful in uh, the subsequent lessons with the students? Yes, yes. And I would say, remember we were saying, like, you know, let them use the sound map. Don't tell them mm -hmm. sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why we always try to, the, we try, this, was, this, was the, this was the skill of utmost importance. And we really put our heart and soul into it. 
and mm-hmm. try to work around the parents' schedules. Mm-hmm. So I think that really paid off. It was really very satisfying and gratifying. So it sounds like you've had, you know, quite a few academic successes as well as uh, some logistical successes that you might continue in the new school year. Did you experience any challenges? And if so, you know, were you able to overcome them? Uh, well, some of them. So first, the very first challenge was access to technology. Mm-hmm. Okay, so only like few of the students had a device that they could use because parents have their own things, but parents are working from home and they needed their own whatever. So our school was wonderful in reaching out to students who need technology, of course, with our help. And we made sure that the parents were going to use it and they, they promised to like log on to Google Classroom. And also most of the students got, got technology. So that tech, tech, the thing was overcome. And also I personally had two computers from the time that my kids were home. Mm-hmm. So we refurbished them, whatever, and gave it to the last two children. So 20 out of the yeah. 20 children had, had mm-hmm. access to a working computer. Then the weekend for so the next was logging in. It wasn't the easiest thing for some parents who are not savvy enough. And luckily mm-hmm. for me, I'm not techno- technologically savvy. Mm-hmm. So I was very sympathetic. So the weekend before this was to begin, I kept my half of my Saturday and half of my Sunday open. So they could call and we could make them, me and my husband, went them go through the process. Because so there was a different uh-huh. way to log in, call through Clever. And okay. we had the children's uh, ID numbers listed and everything. So we got 19 out of 20. And then on the Monday, that all 20 children logged in before it began. So that was a real, real, was it was a real, real challenge. Because some of the other classes had five or six children who hadn't been able to log in. Mm-hmm. So that was a challenge that we over, overcame. Mm-hmm. Then some parents weren't able to upload to Google Classroom. So with the direction of our administrator, we told them they could send us pictures. Oh. On, cla- on class dojo, on text message, on email. So that's all that problem. Mm-hmm. And then when students could not um, access Google Collaborate for some reason, because sometimes it could be a little funny, the mm-hmm. camera and things. So we just use WhatsApp to oh, write okay. to them, you know? Yeah. And the lastly, another an emotional support was very, very important. So we um, did two things for that. We got some wonderful articles for the parents to read. Mm-hmm. We encouraged them to make a schedule for the children's work. And we set up a Thursday, 6 p.m. class social meeting just for fun. Music, song, dance, singing. Oh, that's so nice. And then they could send in requests to class dojo through the parents. And then whatever most of the kids wanted, we did that. Great. We wanted a virtual field trip to Patterson Park. We had the lady make one because they used to go into Patterson Park three times a year. Oh, And they missed that. So she made like a lesson on turtles for them. So, yeah. So that's how we... And the last thing was was the just the building relationship with some rough parents but because we were calling every parent every week between me and my aide she was calling 10 and I was calling 10 mm-hmm. and we assured them you know that the school and uh, and the teachers are really invested mm-hmm. whatever they need you know we, we will be able to you know try and get to them with this technology logging in mm-hmm. medicines actually two of our parents actually became sick and the school was able to help them even with the medical part of it wow you know? So, yeah, we tried our best and we hopefully, you know, overcame the challenges. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you made it a positive experience, which I'm sure spoke to your students as well. Yes. So, so what did you learn from this experience this spring? I know we probably could have never predicted uh, what we would be doing these past few months of the school year. But in terms of of what you learned, what might you do the same or or differently moving forward into the uh, 2020 school year? Uh, well, I, for my, the main learning was that the most important thing is to build relationship 
uh, with our parents and with our students. You know, as soon as the parents uh, understood that we're really on their side, you know, oh, you can contact me on class dojo, you can contact me on message, and I, and even on an office hours, even if nobody came, we actually were present for those virtual office hours every week to answer mm -hmm. questions. And if we didn't have answers, we would get it from them, whether it's the school psychologist, whether it's the nurse, you know, we would get, as soon as the parents realized how invested they were, they really started, they started getting more invested, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and by seeing us every week, calling the family, and oh, I'm in the grocery store, okay, I can call you later, you know, to write with mm -hmm. the children, and seeing that, you know, we really wanted the children to learn, I think, I think that is the most important thing for early childhood education, building relationships, building relationships, building relationships, and trying as much as possible to work with the children, either in small groups or individually, you know, the, mm -hmm. and move away from whole group. That's my, that's my yeah. advice. So is there anything else you'd like to share about your experience this spring or moving forward? Well, that's my main learning is <laughs> all about the relationships. Yeah. It's all about the relationships. And we had a beautiful ending to the school year. And that is, oh, really, okay. yeah, we did two things. One is we uh, went to the school one day when nobody else was there and we copied certificates. Okay. And we put them together with uh, resources provided with the Judy Center. That's a math book and a literacy book for every child. We put the certificates and little uh, luncheon and we delivered it to most families that we could. Mm -hmm. And then we had a closing program where we recognized each child and read out what certificates they got and what, uh, what their greatest talents were. Did all of your students attend the closing program? 19 out of 20 and the one forgot wow. the date so we were able to send them the recording. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm sure the parents really appreciated that. I know that um, it's a special experience to graduate from pre -K. Yes, yes. Oh. So I made like an alliteration for every child. Mighty, major, shining, shote. Oh. really rock they were just like <laughs> oh i love it this is more well i'm sure it sounds like you have some great ideas to start next school year out um however we begin whether it's virtual or or in person yes we do and we start with building relationships mm -hmm. that's okay. what we do well thank you so much for your sharing experiences and thoughts around early childhood education in this moment of time I know that I learned so much from speaking with you and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thank you for having me and anytime. <laughs>
And I think both of these articles are relevant and they really do a nice job of, it's sort of that moment where research and practice, you know, align and, and really reinforce each other. So both articles talk about transitioning to online learning and using technology and some takeaways. So I imagine that you'll, these will sound really familiar if you just listen to the article. I mean, sorry, if you just listen to the interview. Um, so this first Harvard Business Review article, and, and as you've seen, has become sort of practice with me, is the article itself, the topic may not be related to the interview. It's actually about sort of this idea of digital technology and how to market ourselves for the next wave of technology and innovation, sort of those steps that we need to be taking and things that educators should be observing to prepare our students for those, those jobs that honestly, we don't even know what they're going to look like. There were, though, a few notes and critical observations that I thought related really nicely to the interview. So firstly, they talked about this idea, and I just love this, that brilliant innovation is irrelevant if we are not skilled enough to use it. And in our interview today, Mrs. Moore talked about putting the skills and needs of her students first. And so when Rebecca asked about how the school day and the schedule changed during the pandemic, Mrs. Moore really shifted the conversation and said that she and her team focused on the learning objectives and skills. So what I took from that, and as she talked more in the interview and demonstrated, is that the thinking and thought pattern and the organization of how we're going to move forward was more around well, what lessons do we need our students to learn? What do we need to present and what do we need them to sort of uh, adopt in terms of skill set, right? And so this is so critical, right? You don't you don't ask the question, I have Zoom, I have this app over here, and I have Google Classroom. Now, how can I use it so that my students learn, right? That's not how it works. I mean, it's the same thing if you walk into a classroom, you don't necessarily look around the room and say, you know, I have a whiteboard or I have a computer or I have a piece of chalk. Now, in what way will this chalk, you know, inform my students' learning? You actually do the opposite, right? I don't know if it's the opposite, but you actually approach it in a different way, which is maybe perhaps it's this idea of design thinking, right? Backward design. So you're thinking about this idea that, well, I want my student to be able to add. And if I need them to add, these are the skills and the knowledge that they need, right? So I need to scaffold them. And then you have conversations around, well, what affordances, what strategies are available for them to do this work? And so I know we were shifting in the middle of a crisis and we were pivoting hard and fast into an unknown territory. And yet what I love about this interview is Mrs. Um, I think I said more. I apologize. Um, it's it's not it's not more. It's nor. Mrs. Nor showed us that even in that m moment of crisis, you can still ask yourself, well, what are my students need to learn and what are the skills that we want to impart? The other note from the Harvard Business Review article was around the importance of cultivating, they called them soft skills. And I don't know about you, but I don't like that word. Um, I don't like it because, well, for lots of reasons, but one, it makes it feel very hier hierarchical that these like technical skills are somehow the hard skills and are somehow better or more important. Nonetheless, the author's we're talking about things like adaptability, curiosity, flexibility. And they talked about this great word, high learnability. This idea that, you know, teaching our students how to learn are critical to success in this new era. And two points here. 
I think as Mrs. Nord demonstrated that her and her team's ability to embody these principles, right? They, in the moment, were adapting, being curious, being flexible. She talked about having to shift schedules and timeframes based on the needs of their family. Maybe there was a work schedule. Maybe, you know, with kids of different ages, you have to consider sort of how long they can manage being on Zoom or what time of day is best for some of this work. And it resulted in some pretty great outcomes. I mean, she talked about how the students were still able to persevere and be successful and the parents were getting more efficacious around online learning. It also seemed to me that she was encouraging this in her students, right? And that and the parents, but creating space, she was creating this space for creativity. So this idea of these soft skills, right? Adaptability, if I use the words of the article, adaptability, curiosity, flexibility, they were really being embodied and reinforced because not only was Mrs. Nor making space for her students to be creative with these sort of impromptu Zoom sessions around singing and dancing, and they even took, I think, a digital field trip. She was also enacting those skills through her own work. And so she was modeling just the kind of skills that she wanted her students and probably her families to adopt as well. So what a great way to engage with your students and be, you know, a teacher learner. The Mathematica article, so this one was a little bit later, right? So this first article was more about what we need to do sort of in 2019. The Mathematica article really was addressing what was happening with the pandemic. It was called Learning in the Midst of a Pandemic, Four Key Education Takeaways. And um, the author, Lauren Scher, I think it is, S-C-H-E-R, she, she went over the four, and I thought three of the four were quite relevant to the interview. The first thing that the author talks about is this idea of intentional acts, right? How often in this podcast have we talked about being intentional? I cannot tell you how many people have shared with me that they've really recognized that they have to be more intentional with and then fill in the blank. In this article, the author was was speaking about intention, but in a little bit different way. And it's really related what the to what the Harvard Business Review article was talking about with respect to brilliant innovation. And that is being intentional around aligning the tech, the technology with the needs of the students and the objectives of the class. Right. It's not any sort of uh, coincidence, for example, that um, I've used Flipgrid in my class to have people engage with each other, create community, build conversation and participation because Flipgrid is designed, even though it's an asynchronous tool, it really is designed to be a way um, to recreate some sort of conversation, right? Or something like, um, I don't know, even a simple Google Doc, right? Where you're sharing and collaborating so you can literally jump on that document together. So with something like a Google Doc, Yes, there's content being taught and knowledge being gathered, but at the same time, the way in which you're using that technology lends itself to conversation, synchronous, you know, discussions of the content, um, sharing and exchanging ideas, etc. So intentional acts. The second one Lauren uh, Cher talked about was this no notion of social emotional health that she, she says in this article, it's equally important as content. And I really felt like Mrs. Knorr throughout the entire interview, and Rebecca also echoed this, 
kept talking about the importance of connections, the importance of relationships, the importance of community and speaking to your students and reaching out to them and caring for them and being sensitive to their needs. And the other thing I really loved about this interview that I think sometimes is overlooked, I really feel like Mrs. Nora and her team were making such strides and efforts to connect with the families. Now more than ever, our families, our caregivers really are partners in educating our students, especially for those districts where online learning or hybrid is the option. So really bringing parents into the fold because we have to remember, right? Go back to intentional acts. It's so crazy to think that, you know, even even though you're an adult, it doesn't mean that you are sort of a digital native, right? Or have um, online learning self-efficacy or feel confident in, in these tools. In fact, you could often argue that our kids are way more at ease with these tools because why? Well, they're they're happy just to push the button until they get it to work, right? As as adults, we're a little bit worried about taking those kinds of risks. So really, you could make the case that the social emotional health, those intentional acts, and then the third one, coordination effort, which is organizing and onboarding. I just love this one. So the onboarding piece really and Mrs. Nora and Rebecca talk about this a lot. Mrs. Nora talked about how she met with teachers, sorry, met with families to show them how to upload documents to um, the Google, the Google Classroom, showed them how to use different tools, talked with students about the schedule, really orienting and onboarding both the student and the family. And I think, again, we sometimes forget that, you know, when you introduce a tool like Zoom, it's not a bad idea when people first come on to, to remind people, okay, in the bottom left-hand corner is the mic. So if you click on that, you can mute yourself. Or if you click on participants, there's an option with an emoji to raise your hand. In the same way, Mrs. Dorr shared with Rebecca that she did these very things with the family that I remember her saying she got online with the parents or on the phone and showed them how to upload one of their their students' documents, which I just thought was was just tremendous. So so I felt like these articles, right, this notion of brilliant innovation is irrelevant if we're not skilled enough to use it, which which links to the intentional acts in the Mathematica article, this idea that embodying these soft skills around ad adaptability, curiosity, flexibility, attending to the social emotional needs of the parents and the children all together leading to, and you know where I'm going with this, I would guess, is a sense of belonging, both for the families and the kids, the students, right? You could argue that the teacher's efforts, the teacher and their team, the students, the families, and togethers were promoting and cultivating a community with a sense of belonging because the parents, I'm sure, and those caregivers felt like they were being seen and heard by the teachers, which, you know, not only are the families learning and hearing what their students doing, but they're also feeling more confident. So it makes it way easier later to not only help and scaffold their own kids, but to ask questions, right? If you reach out, you sort of, um, I don't know, you sort of blaze that path or build a bridge, create that opening for parents to engage and ask questions, which in the end can make all the difference. So 
Rebecca and Mrs. Knorr talk about the importance of providing access to and a little bit of training on technology. And again, too often we make these assumptions that our parents, you know, are not ready for this. And so this idea of coordination and effort, organizing and onboarding, just just terrific practices. Again, I swear I was taking so many notes um, on my iPad and hopefully you'll uh, rewind and watch watch this one a couple that couple times. This is the beauty of having it recorded, right? And finally, when Rebecca asked Mrs. Knorr sort of to reflect a moment about her learning and takeaways, she emphatically said that her biggest takeaway of learning from this pandemic is just the stark reminder that connections are everything. Ah, it's music to my ears. Connections matter. Brene Brown reminds us that we are all wired for connection. And Mrs. Knorr just really confirmed that. Again, the research and the practice just coming up right together. So I really hope you enjoyed that interview. I want to thank Rebecca Chisholm for doing the interview. Gosh, I had very little to do with this podcast um, this time around. And Mrs. Knorr, thank you both for participating in the podcast and for educating our students in Baltimore City. It really does sound like you're just, you and your team are doing some fantastic work with your students and your families. I hope that we'll have a chance to speak at some point. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I'd also just like to say that I enjoyed reading those articles, the Harvard Business Review article and the Mathematica article. I will definitely post those. And it really does show that the key to online learning is always the people and those connections. It's talent, not technology, as the HBR uh, Harvard Business Review article reminds us. So I am Carrie Borkowski. This is Tell Me This, and this has been episode seven. Be safe, be healthy, and please remember that we are all works in progress. So be kind and give yourself some grace this week. You are already enough. So thanks for listening. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.